Hello and welcome back for yet another episode of Captain Chronicles. I'm David aka Redbeard and today we have a very special guest. Like every time, every guest is very special and this one not is this just the same. He's an awesome guy. So he is an esteemed DJ in the Latin dance scene around the world. He's an instructor and the founder of one of the biggest and influential dance communities in the US, Damien Dedon Guzman. How you doing, brother? Hey, Mr. Redbeard. How are you, man? Uh, I'm glad. Thank you for having me here. It's been amazing, man. And thank you so much for the wonderful introduction, man. How are you? Dude, it's my pleasure. It's like uh, I'm really looking up to you ever since like we we got to know each other. Like I know you from uh, from your work from the United States. And uh, it's very great to have you here. I'm going, doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you, bro. Thank you, bro. I'm very, very glad to be here. Very honored to be part of this and share with you, see you at least, you know, it's been such a long time with COVID and everything. It has gotten a lot of people down and uh, especially when it comes to dancing and such. So it's been an interesting, interesting times. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad to, I'm doing this because it gives me like an excuse to reach out to people and say, Hey, I'm doing a podcast. Let's talk. And then it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh, we having an, an hour long conversation and uh, in a way we catch up and it's a great way for me to, uh, see all the people that I want to see. And uh, I see you. So I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy too, bro. I'm very, very happy too, bro. This is this is amazing. You know, this podcast just gives us life and, you know, keeps us connected, keeps us, uh, all of us, like as friends, as part of the overall dance community, helps us be connected since we don't have that physical interaction that we used to have in dance festivals. I and know, such. I know. It's so crazy how things just like came to a dead stop. and uh, And now we kind of have to figure it out how to stay in touch yeah when yeah. when the, when we are out of touch literally out of touch <laughs> yeah that's definitely yeah social distancing at its best so. oh my god like all like i feel like the the most the people who suffered the most like not to disrespect people who don't see their relatives and everything but the dance community god like people who are hooked on dancing and they, now they can dance for their for for like because of this pandemic that's crazy oh it's it's absolutely insane like i you know before the pandemic i was dancing at least in two or three festivals on a monthly basis so i will connect with my community my friends and you know it was like having a big family so yeah it's not necessarily that i cannot see my my immediate family which i did actually they are all in puerto rico and i went in september for most of the month there but then, you know, I do miss my dance family, my dance community, uh, you know, as big as it is, like the MOB has um, uh, my group, about 77,000 people. And yeah. very, very few of those are in, in Houston. So most of them are actually in the East Coast and the Chicago area. Wow, dude, like, also, like, that's crazy how, how amazing, how big of a community you created. And uh, it's, I'm sure it's such a challenge to, maintain relationship with everyone right now and kind of keep it all together it, it, it has been it has been you know within the mob we have a more close group which we call the mob associates that are people that have like their nicknames on mm-hmm. the t-shirts and all that stuff that have earned it 
And, you know, just over that, we have over 100 associates. And, you know, we have been keeping in touch with them. We have all of them in a separate uh, private chat and all that stuff. And we've been trying to do some things like an MOB, some skipping, uh, some friends giving and things of that nature, which unfortunately I could not join because I was out in Dubai, but the MOB secretary handled that as well. <laughs> So, but those are some of the things. Sometimes I just jump in that chat and randomly make a video call to everyone, just, just, just to keep in touch, you know. Because I also miss my friends. I miss all of them. Of course, man. Like that's like that's hundred percent understandable. So I'm gonna. I haven't. Uh, this part I kind of skipped in the talk before. So and the reason I'm doing this podcast, aside from getting in touch with all the people that I like to to meet and all the people who are dear to me and catching up. Uh, I'm exploring the concept of connection. Connection comes in so many forms and so many ways. And uh, I'm doing it to for me to better understand it and mostly to everyone who listens to reverse engineer it so they could identify their connections in their life and build new ones. So like you said, uh, you are the founder of the MOB. And I'd like to ask to start the whole our podcast uh, with the question, what is uh, the MOB and how how did it came to be? How does it uh, how did you create it? Okay, so the MOB, um, you know, before I go on how I created it, so what it is is a it's a group a network of social dancers from all around the world, uh, with the majority of them based out of the United States. Um, pretty much, we wanted to focus on this on the social aspect of dancing. I mean, and that's not only social dancing, but also, you know, how do you hang out with other people? How do create? How do we create a healthy and fruitful community that is safe for all of us? So there's a few few precursors to that before I created the MOB and some of the reasons I founded it. It was because of some things I saw happening in different festivals uh, around the U.S. I was uh, very fortunate that mm-hmm. I had the means to travel constantly to a lot of different festivals all around the country, just by myself, just for fun. And I was not an instructor, not a DJ. I just was a guy that wanted to have fun. Yeah. That was it. So, and I started meeting a lot of people across the country and across the world. You know, actually, some of my first first uh, festivals were like Paris Bachata Festival, Bachatea in Spain, oh, DC dude. Bachata Congress. You know, I haven't <laughs> been to, I haven't been to, uh, the only one I've been to, I think there were a couple just in the States and the one in Israel, that's it. And one in Helsinki. That's my my list of festivals. And, uh, so oh, that's wow, amazing. That's amazing that all the, the places that you traveled and you saw. So what exactly yeah. did you saw like in those festivals that you got uh, inspired you to to follow that path? Yeah, so I mean, there was a festival that I saw like guys, uh, some guys were doing like these after parties and things like that to connect with people. But actually, most of them were really geared towards taking advantage of women. <laughs> and, and I did not like that concept. Actually, like I know one of my one of my. You know, my acquaintances at one of the festivals told me like, hey, Damien, I'm doing this after party. Do you want to come? We're just going to get some girls drunk and have sex with them. And that's not my style. So, I mean, of course, I did not go. Uh, but then, you know, it got me thinking, you know, maybe I can do something about things like this. And then, you know, um, be, beyond that, I also saw in some of the festivals that I will go that I would see like the people from like Orlando, 
just hanging out with the people from Orlando, mm. the people from Atlanta, with the people from Atlanta, people from Chicago, just hanging out with the people from Chicago. And I'm like, you know what? This is such a large community all in here. Why are we not, you know, crossing boundaries and trying to share with each other? Because, you know, I see like very, very particular styles. Like, for example, like the style I saw in the West Coast in L.A., was very different from bachata in the Chicago area mm-hmm. and was very different from bachata in the East Coast and bachata in Orlando. So the only way that we can get better at also social dancing was also by having that interaction between people so that you can have someone from the West Coast dancing with someone from the East Coast and 100%. then they learn in movement. So... Uh, that's another of the things I saw. And then, you know, uh, as well, one of the things I wanted to bring to the community was a voice to the dancers. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I will tell like some Congress organizers as well, like, Hey, you know what? I think this can help your Congress. I think this might help to, to be better. Um, and they will tell me, yeah, but that's just your opinion. You're only one guy with that opinion. So (laughs) I was like, Okay. Sounds so like you really like got you pumping. Like say, oh, you know what? Like my opinion. Okay, I'm not gonna show you. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. And you know, eventually, you know, as I started traveling to more and more festivals, like a lot of the organizers actually started asking me for advice. I put um, even before the MOB, I released a white paper uh, in my Facebook that it was about you know business in dancing one on one. Hmm. and how to create a strategy, how to work through a Congress, and a lot of different things related to dancing. And I actually share it with a lot of the Congress organizers of the the Congresses I have been to, and a lot of them, you know, looked at it, and it's like, wow, nobody has ever put something like this before. It's a great tool, because I have a master's in business, so I have a business background, and I'm a a background in project management, and I'm also an engineer, so I have this very logical way of thinking. (laughs) So I wanted to actually put that in like a white paper and share it with people that are interested in opening a business in the dance community. I was not interested in opening uh, a business in the dance community. I just wanted to have fun, but I thought that it would be useful. That's a great thing of you to do, like to kind of take what you did exactly. You took it, you, you saw the business, you saw the structure, you reverse engineer it, you put it on paper, you took all your observational skills, you took all your knowledge, and you put a tool for everyone that's like very novel of you and like novel to to make something like without expectations of uh, anything in return. That's a very nice, like, that's awesome, man. No, thank you. And I wanted to also bring that sense of business because a lot of people that own congresses, at least in the U.S., and actually that's the case you all around the world, are people that maybe they have a dance academy and they have this big passion for dancing and such, but they know very little about business. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason that most congresses actually always lose money. Yeah, Why? that's an yes, expensive... Because it's expensive to produce and you know if you don't have the right business mindset the right marketing the right pricing so you are not going to be able to compete and some of the things i also saw was like some of the heritage congresses they had like prices in here like way too high versus you know some of the newer congresses were coming at a price significantly lower so i will go ahead and approach a congress organizer with like the big picture and i will tell them hey you know, my people from the MOB, um, 
you know, we are we have this price for, for example, in the U.S., uh, my my best example is TC Bachata Congress because that's the largest festival in the U.S. for bachata, yeah. and you get, like, hundreds of workshops, uh, concerts, and goes for, like, five days and all that stuff. So it's actually it's amazing. It's actually – it was my favorite festival, and it's my, one of my favorite festivals in the U.S. for sure, and it has been voted uh, – but in the MOV, you always gets voted number one every year that it happens. Hmm. Um, so, so, so I, I will tell people it's like you know, if my people are paying one hundred and fifty dollars for this congress that has all of this, why you know why they should pay two hundred and fifty to go to yours, you know? And I will negotiate a price that is more reasonable based on the features of the of the event, based on the quality of the artist, based on a lot of different factors, the city, because, you know, I, I also understand that producing a Congress in New York is way more expensive than producing a Congress in Texas, yeah. for example. <laughs> so you definitely. have to factor all these things as well. It's definitely, New York is definitely an expensive uh, arena to, to battle in, in terms of those... Uh, in terms of congresses and production and all those things, plus it's a yeah. very crowded city. Like it's uh, every every inch of, of land and every inch of space there costs way more than, like you said, in Texas. Oh, it, it does, and it also has a lot of demand because you know if if you don't use the ballrooms for this, I'm pretty sure the hotel is gonna have a lot of other people making them offers for the same ballrooms yeah. that you are using for a congress. So you know you have a convention of surgeons that is giving them you know way more money than the congress. Of course, they're yeah, gonna it's... go ahead and actually price it based on that. Hundred percent, hundred percent. What um what I'm interested in is what where where did you get the confidence to kind of go and uh and start building yourself as a as a leading role like do you did you have something like that in the, in your past that you kind of you know stood up and and did or it just came naturally to you so i mean there's a few things i think you know when i was uh in, during my master's in business while i was enrolling a program called leadership for change mm -hmm. and that program was actually about uh developing uh anything from non-profits to social companies and all that stuff uh, that are good for the people and good for the environment good for you know from a social cost perspective and you know i left that program and i was like oh yeah you know yeah it was great I don't know, I need to find my call and see what can I do, you know, and then, you know, after being in the dance community for a few years, I was like, oh, now I know what exactly I need to do. I know what I, I am meant to do uh, with all my knowledge and my skills and put them into practice. Yeah, it's like, and uh, because I'm asking because there, there are different kind of people approaching those things. Like you approach from a very... Uh, uh, selfless point like you saw i love this i love this world i love this community i love the dancing and i really want to make a contribution and uh make a make a difference in a good way and there are other people who are will come oh, i see a business opportunity let's capitalize on my ideas like there's they're both valid ways but yours is uh i really appreciate yours and i really appreciate the people who come in a kind of uh uh, eyes wide open want to help and want to build it from a for the community for the people yeah. like you do 
It's uh... Uh, absolutely. And you know, when I started this, I had no clue if this was gonna make money ever. You know, like the first year I established the MOB, I I lost over thirty thousand dollars. So so that that's a big that's a big chunk. And, I would say an expensive hobby. <laughs> It was an expensive hobby, so I'll tell you that. Uh, I, I mean, I still lost a lot of money on the second year and things of things of that nature. And then finally, we started breaking even and such. But at, you know, when I started this, I had no clue how to make money. You know, then yeah. I started teaching and DJing, and that also started um, generating a revenue. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I I did not start teaching on DJ just because of the MOB. I actually started teaching on DJ for another complete separate reason. <laughs> it's actually when I moved to Houston back in 2015, um, I would go out dancing in here and there was really very, very few bachata dancers at the time. So I will actually ask the, the academy organizers, it's like, hey, can you have a room for me and I can come and DJ for you? And, you know, I went and bought all the DJ equipment, brought speakers, everything, you know, and granted, you know, I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> and I decided to also, hey, I'm going to try, you know, I will be dancing and a lot of people will ask me like, hey, I want to learn to dance like you. So I started like actually like offering these free lessons as well. Like actually, even when I moved to Houston, um, the first boot camp that I ever did was actually right here in my house, in my backyard with about 20 people. That's amazing. Like that sounds like a, a, a classic, like uh, entrepreneur story. Yeah, I, I, and it was great because I wanted to build the bachata community here in Houston. There was no bachata community. So I pretty much, you know, did that boot camp right here in my house, in my backyard for free for everyone. Because I just wanted to start building a community because I also understood that I cannot start charging like the socials uh, and the events around here until I am bringing some value. Exactly. Yeah, so... So I needed to create that value and bring that value to them so that then they can share some of that value with me. If there's a will, there's a way, yeah? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, right now, the community in Houston has grown for for bachata from like less than 10 when I moved here into Mm -hmm. this city. Now we have over 300 bachata dancers in the city. Awesome. That's amazing. And imagine like there are millions, like what I see is here in Israel, we're a very small country, but let's say on a Thursday, like on a good Thursday, that would be around, I would say, I would say a north of 500 people dancing yeah. around the country in different places. And that's in this country that is a, this population, the size of a few counties in Texas. Like we have what, eight and a half, nine million people. And in just in Texas, there is like a hundred million, like not a hundred, but like tens of thousands, tens of hundred millions of people. Imagine like the potential of, of growing and expanding and having like a thousand people. Like that's, that's like amazing, but growing from 10 to 300 as of itself, I know exactly what, what do you mean by making this growth? So it's crazy. It's really, really significant and kudos to you, bro, for making this happen. Thank you, man. And, and I, I understand, you know, Israel, man, I love it. You know, I went there actually and DJed on a Thursday night with DJ Alejandro once. 
And I was just impressed, actually. I was plainly impressed on how many classes were being offered at the same time, how many people were taking the classes, how the format is completely different. Like the ways that you guys teach is very different, you know, in these small clusters of people versus what they do here in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, now and you I see where, something... where we came from, how we... Uh, oh, absolutely, man. Yeah. Uh, and I went actually uh, also on that same Wednesday when I was here in Israel, I went to Havana and same thing. I was like completely surprised. It, it just blew my mind there, <laughs> you know, going to like uh, being in Havana with DJ Paco, my friend, and uh, you know, and then being with DJ Alejandro on Thursday and seeing like how many people are dancing. Oh my God. You know, it just gave me the chills. Yeah, dude. Like I say something about this, this country, when we take something and we put it like we like it, we blow it out of proportions. Like we go crazy. Like, uh, every, like it's, it's, an, it, and it shows cause there was no scene in Israel for 10 years ago. There was nothing. And uh, in the means, like within like few years, it blew up. Like within five years, it blew up to uh, uh, to a, a place that Israel is one of the top countries for dancing in the world. It produces uh, champions in all the major competitions and runner-ups. DJs are very famous DJs, very famous instructors. <laughs> like there is like for now, there is one big DJ here that does like all the heavy lifting shout out to dj alejandro <laughs> who had his birthday like uh yesterday i think um so yeah. Uh, yeah so that's that's something incredible uh what i would like to segue it to is uh when i talk to you about being a leader and being this kind of person that you are is uh like i said there's different kinds of people and um there's like different kinds of leaders as well uh, some some leaders uh, are more of aggressive kind. They want that like, okay, you have to follow me because I'm who I am. And some, like yourself, are more aspiring. Like you make people you to look up to you and follow you. So I would like to ask, what do you do? What do you think that you do that make people want to be part of DMOB? And how do you maintain it? I think it's a lot about creating a positive community. You mm -hmm. know, we actually, you know, by some of the things that we have done very structurally, it's like having like groups of like, uh, like these safe after parties and we evolve. I mean, it doesn't mean that we have never made a mistake. We have made mistakes like everybody else does. But, you know, when we have those mistakes, you learn from them and you move forward. And we are also constantly asking for feedback from the, from the people yeah. and treating everyone with respect. Like I actually, even though I might not agree with what the community might want, I always ask for the feedback of the community. And if, if that is the community's will, I will go ahead and follow through uh, with that because, uh, you know, it also brings me to reason of, okay, what is, what is more important here? What am I missing? You know, what is, the, what are, what are, what are people's views and that respect for everyone's opinions and everyone's what they value. It actually, what brings us to be as, as large as we are, and, yeah. you know, our personalities, we try to be respectful. We, we are caring, um, you know, and that that's that's important. You know, people need to feel that they are cared for. You know, it's as part of being in a community. Like I have had people that have, you know, call me, and this is this is, you know, some of one of the one of the reasons I do this is like people that have told me, like Damien, you saved me. 
And I was like, why? And they're like, before I joined this and found this community, I was in a really bad place in my life. And, you know, finding this community that gave me love, gave me support, it actually saved me from, from being in a really bad place. So, and, you know, when I get messages like that and such, I'm, you know, um, people are so thankful about it. Like, you know, it just, it, it reminds me like, this is the reason why I do what I do. You know, it's not because dancing is fun. It's, it's because I feel I'm actually doing something for the people and I'm helping people. That's awesome, man. Like that you are staying engaged and staying in touch with everything that goes on from, from the bottom level, which are like the dancers, like the, like the, the drop-ins, I would say from the regulars to your associates, to everyone. That's, that's incredible. So I'm just going to break it down. So what are you saying is that you apply listening, you apply empathy, you uh, don't, you put your, to decide your ego and what you want to do. And you listen, you, you uh, hear what the feed, like the surrounding says to you. And according to that, you make your decisions. So what are you saying? What the way I see it is you can make everyone happy, but you can make everyone feel respected yes i'm feel heard i think humility is also a big portion of that like uh i i will say humility matters a lot like i actually sometimes i go to some festivals um you know maybe 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 some new dancers they don't know who i am and all that stuff and they they start chatting with me and all that stuff. And they're like, oh, but who are you? And I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm just Damien, just a guy that is here to have fun and, you know, have fun with other people. And then, you know, they approach me like the next day and they're like, oh, I did not know that you were this guy. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm a human being like you are. I'm not, I don't think I am better than anybody. Uh, everything that I have accomplished in, in life, anybody else can do it. You know, if they set up their mind, they set up their goals. I'm not superhuman. Uh, yeah. I'm just another human being in here in the planet that wants to, you know, uh, share my love and share my passion. That's that's. I think that's very important to have this kind of mindset and to to remember your place in the in the in the grand scheme of things. How do you how do you maintain a good relationship? How do you maintain a good positive? atmosphere within your associates and within the bigger crowd of the mob the mob yeah i think maintaining that that um that is is actually you know when we do the parties and things of that nature and maintaining that respect and watching out for each other that's very important and you know also also being examples you know like mm -hmm. the people in the mob leadership like myself the secretary that you know, the MOB secretary, God bless her, because she uh, she helps us. She helps me so much as well. And keeping that connection between people and showing care. Like we have, uh, you know, back in the day, one of the things that we wanted to see is what were the main issues that people were seeing in the dance community. And mm -hmm. um, we did a survey. We do, we do these surveys all the time in the MOB to gauge the sentiment of all the dancers. And one of them was like, okay, what do you think is the biggest issue? So at that time, the biggest issue that came, it was like, okay, sexual assault at, at congresses, mm. you know, women not feeling respected and all that stuff. So I say, okay, you know what? Let's do something about it. 
And I started establishing this team, this MOB sexual assault team, the MOB ladies and things like that, that the MOB secretary leads. And that, you know, started creating another subgroup, even within the MOB of just ladies, and they created their own ladies chats and all that stuff to watch for each other. And, you know, even within the MOB, you have a lot of different subgroups out there um, that are helping each other. Because, you know, uh, it has become so large that now, you know, obviously I cannot manage it myself. You know, I did not found the MOB only myself. It was actually a group of seven people. You know, yes, I was the leader that say, I want to bring these people together, but I actually talk with seven days with six more different people from all around the US and I say I want to create this group and I want you guys to help me. No. Um there were actually um uh, there were other leaders in the dance community and I wanted to put them together and create a MOV and create something for fun and love for everybody. That's awesome. Like I feel like no big project can be done solo uh no definitely not you always have to have a group of people around you that supports the same uh goal and uh help each other absolutely but i'm saying it's really it's really uh incredible to that you maintain that your your community maintains a certain standard of behavior a certain standard of of uh, mindset that at the end of the day just benefits everyone and just makes everyone around them to uh, to enjoy and just want to be part of. Um, what is it's exactly like directs me to my third question to you is that we as people we want all want to belong. Uh, being part of the dance community uh, definitely um, scratches that itch. What do you think makes the communities thrive and what do you think destroys them? Uh, I can start with what destroys them. I think, you know, when you have that lack of respect for each other, when Mm -hmm. you have people that they think that they are better than everybody else, that you get some dancers that believe that I'm not going to dance with these people because they are a beginner or something like that that really destroys them. It also destroys them when dance academies uh, or anybody for that matters only focus on their normal circles and only their dance academy students in order to grow. You have to reach out outside. You have to reach out to the community. You have to maybe go to clubs. You may need to go to restaurants and do like free demos or things like that in order to attract new people. Because, uh, you know, at least in here in the U.S., the dance community is very dynamic and you're going to get a new batch of people, like almost like 80%, 70% of the dancers every year, they turn around. Why? People get married, people have kids, people get into a relationship and they, you know, a boyfriend, girlfriend doesn't want them to that's dance the biggest, and all that stuff. <laughs> that's the biggest one who takes away all the people. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or people just find other hobbies, yeah. you know, I yeah, mean, it's yeah, yeah. Uh, respectful. And that, you know, that's actually one of my biggest fears right now with COVID. It's like, you know, a lot of people, since they haven't been able to dance, they might have already found other hobby and they're not coming back to the dance scene once this is over. And that's, you know, what's going to be one of the biggest hits uh, I expect from, from this situation as well. Yeah, that's so, certainly, definitely. I think that's that's some of the things that really uh, destroy the dance community. I think, you know, egos, mm-hmm. egos definitely hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. And you can see, you know, especially when 
uh, a dance academy uh, doesn't want to work with the other one because of some ego issues. Like I understand if there's like a business issue or something like that. I have had uh, issues with some people in, in business and all yeah. that stuff. But you know what? If eventually we hash it out and we become friends again. It's, it's like nothing ever happened. You know, we all need to understand and, you know, get through those and try to work things out uh, as they happen. You know, and it's always, you know, the responsibility of the people that uh, of the person that made that or that is making the phone to try to go back to the other person and say, you know what, I think I did wrong to you. How can I make it up to you? You know, and I don't see a lot of that in the dance community, unfortunately. Uh, I see more people that are, you know, focused on, you know, it's selfish. I would put it as that, as selfish. And it's like, okay, I did this. I don't care about this person. I don't want to see them again in my life. Well, you know, if you're a leader of a dance community or a dance academy or something like that, you have to think also about your students. Does yeah. that help them? You know, you have to think about what is the best for the dance community overall as well. That's uh, definitely some a big... Uh... It's, it's something that people really need to understand when they get into this position. When you in charge of, like when you a voice in this crowd and you create something, what's the benefit for everyone? Like at the end of the day, there's, I think there's a, there's enough for everyone. Like there's a, there's enough pie for everyone to enjoy it. So there's no need for, for two businesses to go head to head. Like everyone can do their own thing, their own style, but in competition, they think only makes us better, only pushes us forward, only lets uh, helps us grow. But it will, if it gets toxic, I think it only, like you said, destroys the, it like really makes bad and makes the ground we work in very go bad and people will see it and feel it. But what do you think uh, after, like you said, what destroys it? What do you think? Uh, helps it thrives what the points that people should take notes of um when they when they're in this position when they're trying to build a community a good one yeah i think a few of the things is like you know don't expect to make money right of the get-go you know i think it's because uh you know you're trying to build a community and to build a business like almost almost any new business usually always loses money on their first year yeah. almost any new business that's very normal it's very common when people submit business plans and all that stuff even to get funding they understand yes on year one i'm uh, maybe year two i'm still gonna lose money so you have to try to understand that 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 business hang out have that business mindset then you have to be aggressive in reaching out to people or trying to find ways of reaching out to people and you know, like I said, you can go um, to different clubs that people are dancing. You can do demos, uh, things like that. You can do like free lessons, uh, different places uh, to try to bring that new people. And actually, you know, also talk to you, talk about your name, talk about what you're trying to do uh, in order to build that that um, that community. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, th those are some of the things. There's, there's a lot more. Uh, I think that we can do in order to grow the dance, the dance community. Uh, I also, for example, for my local dance community here in Houston, uh, in order to, you know, there's a lot of people interested in bachata music. Yeah. So why don't I try to market to those people as well? And now you can use like Facebook or Instagram ads and things like that. And these people are people that, you know, may have never heard of 
you know, this this dance academies or anything like that. So how do we take these people that are completely out and bring them? Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. Like when I um, started Bachata here, I started doing a lot of mass marketing to try to bring new people because, you know, the, the main fear academies, dance academies had when I entered this marketing here in Houston was like, well, Damien is going to go ahead and take all of the people from our salsa dance academies and convert a lot of them to bachata and they are not going to be my customers anymore. They're going to be, you know, bachateros. And that's really not my, not, not my strategy at all. My strategy is not to take away and predate on other dances. It's actually to bring new people into the dance community and we all grow overall. Salsa, bachata, kizom, bazook, yeah. uh, everything. That's a, such a big, uh, like, um, such a big insecurities in people's world. And you start something and like, oh, you're going to take away from mine. At the end of the day, we need to understand that. Like you said, you put out a value. You put out something from yourself. And if this value is strong enough and it resonates with other people, they will follow it. They will go along and do it. Same they found they found value in salsa. And now they found value in bachata. It's not that they don't like salsa anymore. It's just that they want to do bachata. And at the end of the day, if you, like you said, you work together and you uh, communicate and you uh, explain, I feel like there's... It's just the natural way of things to happen. Like you don't have to take away. Like you said, you open a separate room. I'm doing my thing. Whoever wants to come, come. I'm just putting my stuff out there. And uh, yeah. there's enough for everybody. If and if they want to make a better salsa, then they have to, they need to invest and uh, start uh, talking to their people within their communities and do what, like you said, go and do demos and go and uh, put their stuff out there. Absolutely. And developing others, developing others into becoming dance instructors, inspiring them to become teachers, to become DJs and things of that nature so that you can, you know, as the, as the community grows, you can also leverage those people and th that these people, you know, typically they will also, because you help them at the beginning, they will always also respect you. You know, hopefully. and they will not try to, they will hopefully, I mean, I'm not going to say always because... <laughs> <laughs> But hopefully, you know, they, they will respect you and they will, you know, often make consultation with you as yeah. well. You know, when they are thinking about doing something that it might be a conflict or something of that nature. I think it's very, it's a great uh, pride. I think a, a, um, a point in your, in, as, a, as, a, as a person, influenced, influential person in the community, when someone that was your student goes and becomes an instructor and have their own students or becomes a DJ and, and starts to get, uh, even if they don't talk to you, even if they are not like reaching back or, I think it's very, you, you can always say to yourself like, Oh, I see how this person grew. I remember him from the very first step and now he's going and making waves in the world. And I'm like, I'm so happy that I was part of it. I feel like regardless yeah. of the money or, or the, the fame, I think that's a, for me, at least, uh, to see kind of people like that, I was, I'm like always like, yes, I'm happy. Uh, absolutely, and I have seen that. Like, I have had some students in some of my classes that now are like, uh, you know, teaching all around the world and are like amazing performers. Like, actually, like I don't perform, uh, but they're like amazing performers, and it's because they went and also took the time and not only trained with me, but they put on the work. Yeah. And, you know, if you put on the work, man, you know, I commend that. I actually do because, you know, yeah, they were at some point in time were my students. But, you know, as a, 
teacher, I have to also recognize that it's like, oh my God, you know, open your uh, open your 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 wings and fly away and become better. Yeah, so. that's that's uh, that's very important too. I like, and that's uh, you know, Dora and I, we always said go and experience other teachers, go and feel the style of different people and uh, grow in your direction. Like we're going to give you a set of specific set of skills. Uh, we have our own approach, but go and try other places to, to get, to become your own person, your own dancer. And then yeah, people get influenced absolutely. and become whatever they want. Performers, um, in instructors, DJs, whatever. And that's part yeah, of the evolution. Absolutely. So to go to to go to a little point of like our relevant times with the uh, we kind of started in in the beginning before we uh, recorded this podcast. Um, again, I would like to say, and I would go to the next question, which is, as an avid traveler, you get to experience many cultures and many different people. Um, how do you think we can have uh, new connections and experiences? uh within the confinements of our home like because right now we're stuck and uh we don't get to experience other people and other uh to get out and uh, and see the world and, and really be kind of open to other things how do you think we can create those connections yeah so today i think those connections are being created uh mainly via some of the online tools like zoom there's a lot of virtual classes as well that people are doing there's virtual congresses uh, that people are doing i will tell you like the the most difficult thing for me um during this pandemic is the social distancing portion hmm. because i'm used to being not only dancing but i'm always so close to people and i'm always like you know i want to give someone a hug i i cannot resist you know if i have a a, re a really really good friend in front of me and like no i want to give them a hug it's, <laughs> it's just like it's just me and that's 100 percent that's the, the hardest part for me during all this COVID thing. So I even choose like sometimes not to go out to like dance events or meet up with friends because I know that, you know, if I'm going to go and the fact that I cannot hug my friends, uh, it's going to hurt me more than, than the good that is making me. Yeah. That's very, very responsible approach from you of you. And uh, unfortunately, um, I don't think a lot of people are following, uh, those footsteps. Um, I see it. I see it in my own home, like here in this country, where people kind of go and say, "Oh, I'm. It's my right and whatever," and they don't think of the repercussions. And like you said, I think it's going to affect. Uh, going back to our theme, is going to affect the dance community greatly, and we have to kind of start over in the sense of getting the people and get the start going doing demos and start going to uh get new crowd and the old people are already like kind of they put it aside and we have to get new blood yeah. but i guess it's part of the the challenge it, it, it is it, it is a huge challenge man like you know i was one of the first people that went out there and you know urged people and huge dancers to stay home uh, even before they advise it the cdc and all this stuff you know as soon as we heard about this pandemic it's like, you know, because in reality, you know, if everybody chooses to had at that time had chosen to stay home for two weeks, we will have gotten rid of this. You know? There will be more manageable. Reality, you know, 
Yeah, 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 100%. It, it, it will have, have been a lot more manageable or, you know, or, or like actually, you know, you have countries like Taiwan, they haven't had a single domestic infection in over three months. That's insane. That's so crazy. they are doing their dance parties, they are doing everything. Yeah. But why? Because they had like, ser like serious strict lockdown measures and things like that. Um, you know, they actually did a really good job of handling the pandemic versus in here in the U.S. We also experienced what you mentioned. It's like people, it's like, oh, it's my liberty, it's my health. I don't care about, you know, uh, I'm not sick. I'm not going to wear a mask or anything like that. And it's like, yeah, you're not sick that you know, but, you know, yeah. like 50% of the people are asymptomatic. And you might, you might have, I, I, I haven't had it uh Fortunately, I have done antibody tests and PCR tests like actually like two weeks ago, and I still haven't had it. Uh, God bless. So, and I've been going to the gym almost every day. I be, I have not stopped my social life, but I do everything in a very responsible way. Yeah, I think the word, the keyword here is, is accountability, and uh, I feel like that's that's I, will be the biggest challenge going forward is to have a community where. We have this accountability. Like I feel like when you know people won't show up to a dance event if they're sick. Like we, it's a sensible mm -hmm. thing to do. You know, you feel a little bit under the weather, and like you would stay home, not to put your friends who dance in uh, in a jeopardy um, to make them sick. So why now? Like I'm asking, like now, what's the yeah. difference? What's the what's the urgency? I mean, there's a lot of we can talk about, like, uh, and go deep into this. But I feel like from yeah. for this standpoint, like, as a as a community leaders, that we have, we can do better job next time to create like this community to recreate this sense of accountability around our people. Uh, absolutely. I mean, and the other thing is like it depends on where you live as well, and you know what are the circumstances also surrounding you. Yeah. Because that's another thing that really you know it uh, creates a lot of pressure. Uh, like here, for example, like you know what is the you know if I closed my the dance academy or my social and stuff like that, but then the other three mega clubs right next to me are having parties with a thousand people every night on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. What, you know, is that doing any, you know, that's actually, you know, all the good that I am doing is being offset 3000 times by these other people and these other businesses. Yeah. That's also a big, big thing to think about. Like there is nothing, like you said, one, some, someday one, a person would write a white paper like you did and gonna put it out there and say, "All right, next time you're having this, here's the things you need to follow. Here's the 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 work plan. Here's the business plan. Like this is what you need to do because like right now it's such an uncharted territory for everyone." Yeah, it's really a lot to do with the with the government. Actually, I don't think like you know dance academies and things like that only, but it also comes to accountability from everyone as a society. You yeah, know, it's, yeah, just, it's, yeah. it's mainly as a society. And that's one of the reasons like Asian countries uh, were able to manage this so quick um, and very effectively because, you know, it's actually like already they have they have dealt with other pandemics before, you know, that were, you know, created in, uh, or like developed in Asia originally. So even even when there's not a pandemic, like I know I have been like around Japan or even China that when people are sick, 
they immediately are wearing a mask. Yeah. And it's because they don't want to get other people sick. Yeah. So here we don't have that mentality at all. And uh, in a lot of the Western countries, we were sick. It's like, yeah, we're just coughing our hand or something like that. And now you, know, now you understand how useless this practice is. I mean, like, look, if we were isolated as a, in the terms of land like Australia or New Zealand, which they are back to full, they are back to, to normal. Like the old normal, I would say, but that would be work. But we are in the places where people travel; they move around, like, and uh, it's very hard to to contain this kind of kind of situation. Absolutely. Yeah. So, how do you going forward? How do you um, how do you set your goals, and how do you work on achieving them? Uh are we talking about dance goals? Are dance we talking goals, about let's like talk life about goals? Like, uh, like let's let's start with dance and go with life and then go with life. How do you Yeah, so let's talk about the MOB. Like, you know, when I set up uh, my goals, it's actually it's a, um, I, I set the moment in a very, very fluid way, uh, in a sense that hey, you know what? Uh, for example, one of the things I want to do someday may be a congress. You know, actually like an MOB Congress or something of that nature, uh, I set up my goals and pretty much just wash out what the market wants and what the market needs. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to be another one on the pack. Yeah. I want to do something different. And that's what that's the reason that the MOB became so successful, I think, is because, you know, we were something very unique and different. There has been there has been other people trying to replicate uh, the MOB and creating growth similar to the MOB, and all of them have failed miserably. Um, you know, eventually, you know, they go out because uh, it's it's not easy. It's not easy. It takes a lot of takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, and a lot of knowledge about the marketing aspect of uh, of dancing. And you know, with marketing, I think about there's four pieces of marketing. There's the product that you have. Mm -hmm. There's the placement of that product. Where are you going to put that product? There's the price, you know, of that product. And there is the promotion aspect. So those are the four pieces of marketing. So you have to think about those four things as you develop uh, a strategy for a business. Mm. That's, uh, you gave like, uh, whoever listens to this, that's like a, a crazy tool to use <laughs> when they start something. I feel not even in the dance scene, I feel like, that's a that's a very big piece of insight that you gave there from a, a business standpoint, and that's so. Uh, and thank you for sharing this. Like uh, this is this is awesome. I'm personally gonna listen to this again and gonna write it down. So I'm gonna apply it to 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 my personal businesses. <laughs> <When I'm... laughs> yeah. So, but and how do you? That's awesome. And also. Also, the strategy, how do you develop that strategy as well? Like one of the tools I use in the strategy world is called a SWOT chart. You can look mm -hmm. it up. It's S-W-O-T. And it talks about strengths and opportunities in one part of the chart. And then the other part of the chart uh, uh, is actually strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats. Huh. So you collocate like different things that are happening. For example, you know, like... Uh, the dance industry is very easy to get into. 
yeah. right? There's there's no barriers of entry. There's no barriers of exit. Uh, so anyone can get in. And that's why the dance industry is really bound um, to be a very, very low margin industry because it's almost like a commodity. Yeah. You know, it's not like you have to invest millions of dollars to get into the business, right? No. That in itself is a barrier of entry, you yeah. know, from a strategy perspective. So you also have to think about where do you have a competitive advantage? Do you have a competitive advantage in your town because you already live there and you can produce things at a lower cost than other people? Do you have some relationships that you can... Uh, you know, that you can actually advance and maybe maybe with a venue, for example. Maybe you have a friend that can help you with a venue and that already is an advantage to you yeah. because, you know, you're going to have a lower cost to operate than other people. Uh, things of that nature, I always think about those strengths, opportunities, weaknesses, and threats and see how can we, how, how can we develop a sound strategy. Yeah, that's, uh, again, what a crazy tool you just gave. <laughs> <laughs> like you're dropping you're dropping like hard bombs of knowledge here and like that's just amazing and i'm so happy i'm I'm so happy to be in this moment right now to listen and like this is one of those times that i'm like yes that's uh, uh to to uh as a listener i would be very excited to hear that um but i feel like it's awesome to see how you apply your knowledge and how to how do you look at the business not just from like a emotional standpoint like how from on the dance you like take a step and you analyze it in a very kind of cold way i would say in in quotes that you say okay this works this is doesn't this i can improve uh i can invest a little more in this in this area take away this and it gives you a you say a lot of edges a lot of uh, advantages to to be a very dominant force in the scene which you are because you have a, such a big following and you you can you utilize this big uh crowd as a tool for for negotiation in your in the congresses like i know have when you say okay i have those crazy amount of people who can come to your congress but they would like your prices are a little more than uh, so it's it's a it's an amazing tool and you can transport like you can you transport a congress to a congress like you have a yeah, few congresses worth of people around you that you can say, "Oh, hey guys, this place is popping. You should go there. Here's a deal for you," and and that's insane. And for for so for you to say, uh, "I would like to have a congress," I feel it's only a natural way to grow. And I'm sure with your knowledge, with your experience, with your connections, like you said before, you will be able to create an experience that is a few levels higher than a regular than your average congress and i'm looking forward yeah. to it to be honest for the day that you will launch it i'll be like sign me up i'll be on the plane <laughs> thank you bro thank you i appreciate you man like since i met you you know you have been just amazing person you and Dora, man like I, I really admire what you guys started and what you guys have done and the passion and the love that you guys put to the community yeah, dude, it's a it was a ride. Like they still, he's still, he's still there, and like I, I can't wait for them to be back in business, and uh, and kick some butt. Um, and it was a it was a journey to to start it, you know, in New York, like from from nothing. Um, so 
I would like to kind of close it off. Like you said, it's important to hear feedback and to learn because that's the way you grow and you learn from from your experience. So I would like to ask you, what's uh, what's your little bit of feedback about this experience that you had right now in this podcast? What do you think? How was the how was it for you? Oh man, I, I loved it. Just having this natural conversation with you, I really appreciate it. I think it's very useful for us to connect. And I'm glad to be able to connect with with you from Israel and me here sitting in Texas in the US. Man, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, that's a, it's a privilege for me as well. How do you think the questions were uh were good? Like there were there was um there was some meat to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think you know the questions were really good. Um, we can actually we can even chat a little bit more about that uh, at a later time. Mm-hmm. I have a hard end now as well that I yeah, need no to go problem, to. No problem. No worries, man. So how can we, drop me some of your uh, your um, social media so I can plug it into my uh, to my description. Everyone, if you're listening, please follow up the mob. Look them up. They're producing amazing content in terms of uh, dancing and what to go and what to do. Damien, thank you so much for joining in. You were such an amazing guest. It was such an honor to having you. Everyone have a beautiful day and I'll see you in the next episode.